Well, dear friends of Holy Trinity, it's a delight to be home. Uh, for, my, for me, it's my first time in the parish since I became the Dawson Bishop and succeeded our beloved Bishop Donald Harvey that you all know well. And uh, I can assure you, he'll be here often in the future. It was my delight to appoint him as Episcopal Vicar uh, and, uh, and I can count on, and he counts on, being here often in the future. So you won't be missing him a lot. But it's my joy to be here as your Dawson and my first time here in this glorious church home that God has provided. I was here in March for a few days and was fortunate enough to, to do a tour of this building and the other buildings associated with it. It was the time when we were waiting, uh, anticipating the conclusion of the deal with the Archdeaconry of Boston uh, and Archdiocese of Boston. And uh, it, it didn't actually happen while I was here, but I'm happy to say it did. Uh, and uh, here you are, and I know that many of you have worked extremely hard uh, in the refurbishing of it and making it both on the outside and the inside such a glorious witness to the Lord Jesus Christ here in this community and beyond. So I bless you and thank you and tell you it's, it's for me a great joy to be here today. Um, I'm glad to be here on Rose Sunday. I, uh, I'm very interested uh, in John the Baptist. I find him an intriguing character. I don't think the movies ever do him justice. They always make him a, a crazy man ranting and raving and shouting at the top of his lungs. Never says that uh, that was the way he was, but it's just the fact that he cuts through to the quick and he speaks to people, speaks to people in a very direct way and calls them to repentance, which is perhaps startling in any era. To call people to repentance is something that the world does not easily, is not comfortable with. And so it's no surprise that movie makers want to sort of relegate him to craziness because the notion of getting ready for the coming king is equally an offense to this world. And yet it is of such great importance. I want to talk for a few minutes about Matthew 11, uh, which I consider to be a, a kind of a sad story. John the Baptist is almost certainly very close to his own martyrdom. He'll be executed. And if you'll remember the account in Matthew 14, it's, it's a very arbitrary and sad thing where uh, the king is backed into a corner by his wife and her daughter, whereby almost as a dare, he ends up uh, calling for the beheading of John the Baptist, which is what happened. And John the Baptist, not knowing exactly the, the end in terms of, of how it was going to happen, but certainly would have known where he was heading, is in a dank, cold, awful prison, awaiting his execution, reflecting on the past, and in a surprising way, and obviously there was access, people could come and meet with prisoners, and actually it's the only way they survived was if somebody brought them food because 
the Roman authorities sure didn't provide them with anything. You'd starve if there wasn't someone who loved you and brought food. But there he was, and it says, Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Sorry. (laughs) It makes the job of a chaplain even more when the bishop is dropping things all the time. But thank you very much, Praveen. Bless you. Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Now, I suggest to you, this is a startling, startling question. It comes completely in stark contrast to everything that John the Baptist knew from his mother's womb and on. Let's take a few minutes and remember about John the Baptist. He's such an interesting... We know a lot about him. We know a lot about his connection to, uh, to Jesus. I kind of feel like the lawyer who is saying to the judge, now I know I'm going to be speaking uh, sort of, uh, I'm going to move over a little bit and not talk exactly to the point, but I hope you'll give me latitude to do that. So I'm hoping you're going to give me latitude to speak for a while. I don't know how you're going to stop me. But anyway, uh, (laughs) but uh, it would be nice if you felt good about it as well. John the Baptist is one figure that we know quite a bit about even in the Old Testament. Isaiah 40, verse 3, and if you're into Handel's Messiah, you know that the tenor, the first comfort she, comfort she says, my people. And then early on, we have this, a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. John the Baptist himself, when he was asked, are you the Messiah, are you the one? He, of course, immediately said, no, no, I definitely am not. He said, all I am is a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way. Where did he get that? Isaiah 40, verse 3. He was also the prophet Malachi, which is in our Bible is the last book of the Old Testament. It says this, and again Handel's Messiah sings about that one. Behold, I send my messenger... And he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? John the Baptist, a messenger. Jesus himself in the gospel that we had read, refers to the fact that he was that messenger. Malachi 4, the very next chapter, the prophet in the last verse of the Old Testament says of John the Baptist, and it is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children, the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This is what the prophet Malachi said, and of all things, Gabriel, the same angel who came to the Virgin Mary to make known to her that she was to give birth to the very Son of God, that same angel, that same exalted great angel, came to Zechariah, who was to be the father 
of John the Baptist and to tell him that he and his wife, though they were old, were going to give birth to a son and it was to be John the Baptist. And he was to be the Elijah that the Old Testament spoke about. This is John the Baptist. This is the guy now in prison. In Luke 1, we also have Mary uh, when she visited her cousin Elizabeth. Mary has heard that she is giving birth and she will be giving birth, conceiving and giving birth, and she visits her cousin who's already pregnant, Elizabeth, and it says this, in those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and, the, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? That's John the Baptist's heritage. Even when he was in his mother's womb, when Mary entered the house, he just naturally leapt in her womb. And, Mar and Elizabeth knew what this was about because she knew that he and she were in the presence of the one who would give birth to the Son of God. That's John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the one who then in the wilderness was baptizing people in the Jordan, preparing a way, saying, make ready for the coming king, repent and be baptized. And people were. And wonder of wonders in Matthew 3, we hear the account of Jesus himself coming to be baptized. Not surprisingly, it tells us that John the Baptist, and it says, and then came Jesus from Galilee to Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. I understand that. And do you come to me? John the Baptist saying to Jesus. But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. That's Jesus. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is the Father in visual form sending the Holy Spirit. This is the Father in audible form saying in such a way that John the Baptist heard it, as did Jesus, this is my Son. In other words, this is the One. My anointed one, the Messiah, the one that all of history has been waiting for. Here he is. This is the one, for instance, that Psalm 2 speaks about. Remember I said I was digressing. Well, we're doing a lot of digressing here. But we're trying to understand the background of who this guy John the Baptist is in relationship to Jesus. Why do the nations rage, Psalm 2 says, and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. 
That's the one that John the Baptist was asking about, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Did you get that? In other words, all the nations saying, we don't want God's anointed. We want to be rulers ourselves. Get rid of him. We don't want him. What does God think? Oh no, I should have taken a poll. I should have done some sort of thing to check out to see what people wanted and what kind of character and what would they be looking for for the anointed one. Instead of that, it says God laughs and holds them in derision. He's not at all concerned because the only one that matters is him. And it is he who said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell you of the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. So in Matthew 3, when John the Baptist was there and just having baptized Jesus, and he heard that and saw what happened, he was hearing Psalm 2 all over again. And God saying, two thumbs up. This is the one, this is the one, this is the one. Get it? This is the one. So it is that in John 1, we have the account. It says, the, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said words that had never been said ever of another person before. He said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. We say that all the time, don't we? Every service. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. O Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, grant us thy peace. But for John the Baptist, it was as a result of being there at the baptism and having heard and seen and knowing this is the one. And so he dared say prophetically and clearly, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Later, in John 3, people are coming now to Jesus. Not so many are coming to John the Baptist. The followers of John the Baptist are not, not happy about that. They think, poor John the Baptist. Everybody's going to Jesus. They should be going to John the Baptist. They are... You know, they, they followed him before they came to be baptized. And so they came to him and they sort of complained. And this Jesus and his disciples were in the Judean countryside and he remained there with them and was baptizing, it says. John also was baptizing at Eon near Salem because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized. For John had not yet been put in prison, it says. Now, in a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification, and they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has been set, uh, the, the bride is, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. 
The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. This is the John the Baptist that is in prison. This is the John the Baptist who's now asking the startling question. Say, he sent his right-hand man to Jesus and said, Ask him, are you the one or should we be looking for another? Is that not a disappointing question? Would that not have been devastating to Jesus to hear? Well, it could have been that John the Baptist was actually sort of setting Jesus up. Sometimes, you know, an interviewer lobs in an easy question to allow the great man to say the words that everybody needs to hear, but he's afraid maybe hasn't been said clear enough. So he lobs in, are you the one or should we look for another? Go ahead, Jesus, you say it. And Jesus says it, not the way that they might have expected. They would have expected, of course I am. What are you thinking of, John the Baptist? Oh, my goodness. After all that we've gone through together and all that you've said, that's not at all what Jesus said, is it? <clears throat> well, whether it is that he was lobbing in a point or whether he was actually confused, I don't know. <clears throat> but I suggest to you that it's okay if he got confused <clears throat> because he was a man like you and me. And in fact, though Jesus describes him <clears throat> as the greatest man born of a woman, nevertheless, he was a human being who is prone to confusion. Even great people, in the heat of the moment, can get confused. Even great people can wonder when they're in danger and in despair. Even great people, when they look ahead to what looks to be a very dark thing, <clears throat> they can wonder. I hope I didn't make a mistake. I hope I didn't launch into something which was premature or a little bit, I got a little excited or something like that. <clears throat> Sometimes circumstances can make what was crystal clear yesterday seem not so clear today. It's almost like what was before is dreamlike. It seemed so clear then, but you know, right now, it doesn't feel so clear at all. <clears throat> what I want to suggest to you is that this is not bad news. This is good news for frail people like you and me who can relate to John the Baptist in this. It's very possible that you have crystal clear experience of the Lord Jesus Christ, which you know to be true. But there may be times that you've experienced which are dark and difficult when the memory of that doesn't seem quite as clear as it did when it happened. What can we say from this passage? Number one, John the Baptist did the right thing. He came to Jesus. That's the place to go. When you don't know, Go to Jesus. He'll tell you. He'll tell you. And so I'm saying to you, friends, whatever it is that you may be facing, if it seems confusing, almost like everything is up for grabs all of a sudden, like the carpet has been pulled out, come to Jesus and ask him, tell me, Jesus, 
is this true or not true? Secondly, when Jesus answered, he didn't say, yes, you fool, what were you thinking of? Which I would have thought he would have said. Instead of that, he said this. Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now, is this a riddle? Is this Jesus playing games with with, uh, John the Baptist and those? Not at all. What it is, is that Jesus, even the Son of God, the Messiah, the one who is the one, who's about to conquer death and all that binds us and open up a way to heaven, nevertheless, he so honors the Bible that he uses the Word of God as the only means to, to get rid of the confusion which is there in John the Baptist. He points to irrefutable passages. We had Isaiah 35 read, Isaiah 28, Isaiah 26, Isaiah 61. Isaiah's pretty good, isn't he? That guy knew what he was talking about. And all of them are speaking about the marks of what when the anointed one comes, what's going to happen? What are going to be the signs of this amazing one that all of history has been looking for? And maybe it's understandable that John the Baptist saw those things happening, but now he could see his own imminent demise, and he may think, hold it, I don't see how that lines up with him being the Messiah. What's that about? In the same way that 1 Thessalonians 4, the Thessalonians got confused when some of their loved ones, their saints, died. They said, hold it, I thought Jesus was the resurrection. And so in 1 Thessalonians 4, you can look up later, Uh, talks about that. But anyway, here we are. So Jesus uses the Word of God. It was the Word only which could persuade and make clear. Is that not important, a, a principle? At our recent synod, the Reverend Keith Ganser preached on Luke 24 and made it clear that when the risen Lord stood in the presence of the disciples, even although he was manifestly there, showed them his hands, showed them his side, even ate some fish to prove that he was not a ghost, those things did not persuade them. It was when it says, he took them to the word of God and persuaded them from Moses and all the prophets concerning himself and all the scriptures. It was the Word of God that did the trick. And we're just the same as John the Baptist and those who follow. Do you remember at the temptations when Jesus was under the, the uh, temptation? And temptation means it's, it's attractive. It was something that drew him, even though he's the Son of God. But it was the Word of God that he appealed to, which protected him. Do you remember last week was... Uh, Romans 15 was the epistle. Of course you remember that. How could I even suggest that you might not? For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. This book, dear friends, is given for our hope. 
to give us endurance, to help us stand through dank, cold prisons when there are dark things lying ahead, to know the truth in such a way that the sting of them cannot even touch us. And that's what happened for John the Baptist. Came to Jesus. Jesus used the Word of God. Interestingly, the verse after the, the passage as we had read, Matthew eleven eleven. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, among those born of a woman, this is John the Baptist, has not risen greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now is that a riddle? Hold it. He's the greatest, but if you're going to be in heaven, you've got to be greater. (laughs) What's that about? That's kind of discouraging, I would suggest to you. But it's actually the gospel in one verse. What he's saying is even John the Baptist was a sinner. Even John the Baptist, the greatest of a man born of a woman, nevertheless, he needed a Savior, as Moses and Elijah did. And they're the ones that met Jesus at the Transfiguration and spoke to him about his departure, which he would accomplish in Jerusalem, it says in Luke 9. And so John the Baptist, even though he was so great, could not put a foot in heaven unless he had the righteousness which Jesus came to bring. In that regard, we're just like him. We need his righteousness, Jesus' righteousness, not our own. He who knew no sin, that's Jesus, became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. Dear friends, Jesus was using in John the Baptist a picture of the fact that unless you're born of the Spirit and received by faith the giving of the righteousness of Jesus, you can't even see the kingdom of God. But good news, the gates of heaven been opened wide for whoever will come, whoever will receive that righteousness. And you know what I do? I know most of you, but I don't know all of you. But what I would say is everywhere I go, I give an invitation. I say, you know, maybe today is a day where you realize that you have been kind of trying to be as good as John the Baptist or close, trying to be the best you can be. But in your heart, you know that you just can't make it. It's got to be received as a gift, as a gift of God, which is only the only way we can receive it. John the Baptist did. Moses did. Elijah did. And you know what? So did Charlie Masters. One day and. Uh, I I asked Christ into my life. And on that day, I know that he applied his forgiveness and his cleansing and his newness of life, all of which was spoken in my baptism as a child. But now, fully realized in that day. And so, dear friends, I invite you to consider whether or not there be anyone who still is standing on the outside of this Today is a good day. December 14th, third Sunday of Advent. I invite you to, and I will pray a prayer in a minute. Dear friends, most of us know that Bishop Don Harvey, one of his great modern songs that he loves, are These Are the Days of Elijah. 
Did you know that? Do you know that uh, it's a pretty, uh, it, it's a song that he loves. And if you ever see him, he can't uh, just stand there and sing it. If he has his crozier handy, he's using it to almost direct the choir. He, since he loves it so much. And it's a great song which is speaking about the fact that just as John the Baptist was called to be in preparation for the coming of the King, who is Jesus, we now live in the days of preparation. Advent days. John the Baptist days. Days of Elijah. Preparing for the coming King in his return. And all of us are called to be stewards of his grace. All of us are called to proclaim the mysteries of what is made known in Jesus. All of us are those who are called not only to receive him, but to make him known to the world. Well, now, I hope you can stay for lunch. I hope I can tell you a little bit about some of those things later on. But at this time, I just want to say, uh, the, the king is coming. Get ready. The king is coming. Would you stand as we pray? Oh God, we give you thanks that you're full of mercy and grace. We thank you that in Jesus we saw one who had grace and truth. We thank you that in the discouragement and confusion that John the Baptist may have felt in that prison, he sent word to Jesus. And the events around Jesus' life in the word of God would have made it clear to him that this is the one. Not just for him, but for all. He was the way, the truth, and the life. Lord Jesus, if there be even one who wants to call out to you today, I say, Lord Jesus, I know I need you. I repent of my sins. I ask you to come into my life right now. I want to be your follower in the family of the church from now on. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit be ascribed all might, majesty, dominion, and power, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.